Please turn with me in God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 16 and 17 and then turning to Isaiah 55. Paul writes to Timothy, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then Isaiah 55 Verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Let's now pray together. Lord, as we have just sung, would you illumine our minds would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, magnify Jesus Christ? Lord, help us to see you clearly in your word. Lord, let us see the end for which you gave us your word. And Lord, may you change us, not by hardening our hearts this morning, but by softening them. By the power of your word, we ask all of these things for the sake of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is the first of a fairly short five-part series in which we are uh, taking up the means of grace. The means of grace. And uh, I believe it's been announced, but in case you haven't heard, uh, after this series, we will be getting uh, the book of Exodus. So very much looking forward to that. But uh, in this series, we are looking at the means of grace. Uh, what is that, you ask? What, what does this term mean? What is this phrase? Well, uh, let me put it first negatively. Uh, the means that are being spoken of are not every instrumentality which God may please to make the means of 
our spiritual edification. But positively, the means of grace are those institutions which God has ordained to be the ordinary channels of grace. And those means, those that he has instituted, those that he has ordained, are namely the word, and that is the word read and sung and preached, the sacraments, and prayer. One author says the means of grace refers to the concept that God uses particular means or methods or modes of communication to give his grace to his people. And so, uh, this week we are going to be looking at read the Bible. Next week we'll look at sing the Bible, and then in turn we'll take out preach the Bible, and uh, pray the Bible, and see the Bible. Now today, though, we're going to see what it is about the origin of the Bible, the qualities of the Bible, and the effects that the Bible produces that make it what we call a means of grace, the chosen instrument God uses to bless an undeserving people. So here's the big idea for today's message, that is that the Bible's origin, its substance, its qualities, its effects, and its promises all compel us to read it because our very life depends upon it. So let's look first at the Bible's origin. And here we, uh, we read from uh, 2 Timothy 3. Paul writes to Timothy that God's word is breathed out by God. Now I suspect that I am not alone in receiving at least a dozen emails, maybe dozens, on any given day. And if you're like me, you choose to ignore most of them. But some emails simply should not be ignored. Like the email from our boss, which reads urgent in the subject line. And our physical mailboxes are, uh, are the same. We open up the mailbox and we see all sorts of stuff. Most of which goes straight into the garbage and we never ever give it a moment's notice. But some things that we receive in the mail, we simply cannot afford not to open. The letter from the IRS, for example. That has our immediate attention. So who a given email or letter or phone call is from tells us almost everything that we need to know about how much urgency we need to give to that communication. And so how exciting then is it? Hopefully our receipt of this word here is not like the dreaded letter from the IRS. But perhaps we've communicated with an author that we're fond of or uh, a well-known figure and they actually write us back. We receive that communication with joy. 
So, because God has sent us a message in his word, the Bible, how urgently we ought to attend to the message. Or how easily do you snooze God's message on any given day? If God were to call you with the message, would you send him straight to voicemail? Far too often, what we think is, I'll deal with that later. I have more important things going on. Or perhaps we might grow weary and just say, is that God calling again? He has called every single day for the last 12 years. But Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now if the divine origin of the Bible does not compel us to take it up and read it, then the only conclusion is that we are guilty of denying God himself or his authorship of his word. But I have good news. It is not too late to take up the Bible. God is the author, but his intended audience is sinners. So if that's you, the good news comes to you. The Bible is, is God's message. He comes to you afresh one more time. And we get to take it up and read it. So we ought to let the divine authorship, the divine origin of his word compel us to take it up and to read his word. This brings us to the Bible's substance. What is, if we were to take the entire Bible and distill it down, what would be the main theme of this entire book? Well, beginning to end, the Bible is about redemption. Redemption means this. The act of procuring the deliverance of persons from the possession and power of captors by the payment of an equivalent. The act of procuring the deliverance of persons from the possession and power of captors by the payment of an equivalent. And so what is the redemption spoken of in the Bible? This main thing, well, in this case, it's you and I who are under the possession and power of a just and holy God for one reason. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and justice must be accomplished. But redemption in the Bible is personal. It isn't just about redemption, but it's about a redeemer. It is about Jesus Christ who made full and final payment. Christ paid for our release. Christ paid the price that we owed 
a just and holy God. He paid it in full. The Christian once stood under the just condemnation of God, but that precise condemnation fell upon Christ. And this is what purchased our release. And so the Christian no longer faces the consequences of sin because Christ faced those exact consequences. Exempt from this theme. It is truly a cohesive whole. The Bible is about the Redeemer. The entire Old Testament anticipates him. The entire New Testament makes clear that Jesus is the long-awaited Redeemer. Now, central to this theme of redemption is the freeness of it. The fact that it's always given. It's never earned. This is the very definition of grace. And so the central message of the Bible is about a redemption that is given graciously, freely. Now perhaps at this point you're saying to yourself, that's great, but, but I'm already a Christian. I get redemption. I get the Redeemer. But now that I'm a Christian, now that I've been redeemed, the message isn't so relevant. If this is you, let me just remind you that the redemption of sinners by the person and work of Christ is not a message only for the unsaved. The reality of Christ's finished work on your behalf is just as important, if not more important, on this side of your redemption. Your being saved means that you need this more than ever. And there are at least as many implications of Christ's work for you, the believer, as the unbeliever. So the message of a loving Redeemer and a redemption that's free, free and never earned, this message should compel us to take up the Bible and to read it. So let's look now at some of the Bible's qualities. I've picked out just five. There are many more. But if we turn back to Isaiah 55, we will see firstly that the Bible has an invincibility. Now, Isaiah uses the picture of rain and snow to illustrate this invincibility, this power of the Bible. So Isaiah says, rain and snow... Do not bounce off the ground and just return back up to heaven having done nothing. That's not what rain and snow does. That's not what they do. And so too, says Isaiah, the word of God never ever fails to have an effect. It doesn't go out and then just return impotently. But it has an effect and invincibly so. And further, Isaiah says that the effect that it has is the exact effect which God purposes. 
So God sends the message for a very specific reason. And it succeeds, says Isaiah in verse 11. Now what about the unbeliever, you might ask? The Bible doesn't have an effect on them. Oh, but it does. And unless the Spirit of God graciously works in the unbeliever, the effect upon the unbeliever is that they are hardened. Dear friend, brother and sister, this should serve as a warning to all of us. Every time that we read our Bible, we simply are either softened or hardened. God's word is invincible. It never fails to have an effect. You simply cannot open your Bible. You cannot hear the Bible preached without walking away changed. So which will it be? And you see how this, this changes the way that we approach the word. This immediately puts us in a place of fear and trembling. It's no small thing. There is power here. And what it should do is it should make us cry out to God before, during, after we read the Bible. Oh God, please have mercy on me. I know your word will change me. Please give me what I do not deserve and change me more and more into the image of your son. God's word is invincible. Secondly, God's word is a manifestation of God's power. We didn't read it, but in Romans 1, Romans 1 verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. And I, I labored to show that actually this, this whole book is the gospel. That's not just a, a portion here of the New Testament that we sometimes refer to as the gospels with a capital G. But truly, the entire word of God is the gospel. Or at least as far back as Genesis 3.15. We have the gospel invading darkness. Invading our fallenness. So we see that the gospel, the Bible, is the very power of God for salvation. No other book. You walk into a library. There is not one book other than the Bible that is a manifestation of God's power like this is. We also learn of the power of this word from Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Jeremiah writes, 
And he's, at this point, dictating the words of the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Now, that's pretty vivid imagery. And in the ancient world of Jeremiah, what, what, what could possibly be more powerful than fire? Or something that could literally crush rocks. And so may you and I be compelled to take up this Bible and read it. What other message could we set our eyes upon which manifests the very awesome power of God? There is no other. Thirdly, God's word is profitable. So we go back to 2 Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is also profitable. Specifically, that it is profitable for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Now these three words I think we, we ought to take as a figure of speech. Um, he, he lists only three things, but what Paul is saying is, is they're profitable for everything. Reproof essentially means to confront. So what does the Bible do on the front end? Well, the first thing we need is to be confronted. We need to come into contact with the holiness of God. That's where it all begins, with reproof. And then it corrects. It shows us what the remedy is for our crimes. How wrongs can be made right. And then the Bible trains us in the way we should go. The way we were designed to go. And so Paul is telling Timothy that the Bible is profitable for all of life. For any and every man. No matter where he's at or when the word reaches him. It's always profitable. And so this begs the question, do you read the Bible in a way as to be profited? Any approach to reading of the scriptures short of this expectation, this yearning of being profited is to sell it short. And so make this your prayer as you read it, as you read your Bible. Lord, profit me in all of these ways. Confront me. Correct me. And train me, O oh God. Fourthly, the Bible is living and it is active. So here we look to Hebrews chapter 4. wherein the author of Hebrews writes, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
So the author of Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and it is active. Now, children, does this book look to you to be living? Does this look like it's alive? Does it look like it's active? So what's the author of Hebrews saying? What's meant here? Well, the author goes on to say that God's word pierces and it discerns. These are very personal qualities. Inanimate objects are not capable of such things. And this is because the word of God is applied to the soul of man by the Holy Spirit. It searches us and reveals to us who we are by a living and active Spirit of God. And so, as you read your Bible, do you pray, do you ask God that the Spirit would search you? That the Spirit would reveal to us our hidden faults? To reveal to us what our soul really is in the light of God's holiness. Fifthly, the last quality here we're going to take up today is Scripture is sharp. It is piercing. We could say the Scriptures are able to read our mail. The Scriptures lay us bare. The Scriptures are, are capable of wounding us, of showing us our need for redemption, of putting us in our place within this, this theme of redemption, of showing us our need for sanctification, our need to grow in conforming to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so praise God that he has given us such a good gift that tells us the truth about ourselves. Brothers and sisters, friends, you know that the world is all too eager to tell you what you want to hear. To whisper into your ears sweet nothings. To tell you lies. To tell you, you are fine just the way you are. But praise God, He's given us this good word which is sharp and which pierces us, which shows us who we are, which tells us the truth. No one else will tell us the truth but the word. Not even your elders will tell you the truth like your Bible will. And so let's now look at the Bible's effects, the glorious effects that this living and active word produces. Now let's remember that these effects are purposeful. They're not accidental. So when Isaiah says the word goes forth, it goes forth with purpose, number one, and it achieves the exact effect that God intends. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question answer 88, articulates what these effects are that are produced by the reading of the Bible. And actually, uh, the, the preaching, the singing, sacraments, prayer, 
Here's the question. What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? Answer, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which, here it is, this is the effect, all of which are made effectual for salvation. So here we have the benefits of redemption being given through a specific word for a specific effect, namely the salvation of the elect. And I suspect here that the theologians who wrote this catechism, when they talked about salvation, were not only talking about justification, but also sanctification. But regardless, the catechism is simply articulating what Scripture teaches, and that is that the Bible produces specific effects. And so what are they? We're going to look at just five. The first is growth and fruit. Growth and fruit. So as we read in Isaiah 55, um, the word picture Isaiah uses is this rain comes down and and actually produces growth and fruit. Um, And so by analogy, this is the the effect, the result that the word of God uh, attains when it goes forth. Growth in the knowledge and lightness of God and fruitfulness in the fruit of the Spirit. So if your Bible reading, brother or sister, lacks fruit, then ask him to, give it, to, to bless that reading with increase. Ask him to bless your reading with fruitfulness. So back to the quality of invincibility. It, it's not a question of what effect it has. It's just which one. And so if it isn't good fruit, then it simply will be a hardening. It will be bad fruit. And so may our growth in godliness be the result of our Bible reading. May the fruit be love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May these be the fruits. So the first effect that it has is it produces growth and it produces fruit. Secondly, it equips and completes the man of God. So we go back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for, reproof, for teaching, for reproof and for correction and training in righteousness. And here's the effect. That the man of God may be complete and that he may be equipped for every good work. So the man of God is made complete and he is equipped. That is an invincible, infallible effect of God's word. Have you arrived, brother and sister? Do you have the sense that you have been made complete, that you are equipped for every good work? Me neither. 
which is exactly why we need to read our Bibles. Because this Bible is the means that God has given us that we can increase in these areas. This is where the answer is to be found for our soul's longings. And so we are made complete. We are equipped as we are shown Christ in the Bible. Our soul is nourished and conformed and satisfied here in the Word of God. Thirdly, the third effect that the Bible achieves is salvation. Back to Romans 1. We saw in Romans 1 that the Bible is a manifestation of the power of God. But to what effect? Paul says here in verse 16 that the effect is salvation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to for it is the power of for it is the power of God for salvation. Salvation is one of the effects that the word brings to fruition. God has so ordered the universe that the Bible in the truths that it contains are the instrument, the very instrument that he uses to bring about Salvation. Paul also says later on in Romans, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing what? The word of Christ. And so the effect here is faith. But the entire context of this statement is in a discussion of salvation. So I guess we could include faith as one of the effects. But I'm putting it here under salvation. Now this, uh, brothers and sisters, friends, this is exactly why the church, throughout all the ages, has been so keen to teach Everyone to read. Or prior to the advent of the printing press, this is why the church was so keen to transmit the word via the oral tradition. They, they repeated the scriptures so much that this was their Bible. Um, the repetition of God's word uh, among God's people was, was the way that they could read their Bibles. That was what they had. That, that's why the church has been so keen in all the ages. Again, regardless of the medium. This is why the church has been so zealous to distribute Bibles all over the world. And you and I, we may take things like literacy and the availability of God's word in our own homes, we may take that to be, um, we, we may take that for granted. But we ought to be zealous using these 
exact same means toward the expansion of the kingdom of God in fulfilling the Great Commission. Literacy has to precede the, the reading of the Bible. And if the saints are to be built up, if they're to be strengthened, if, they're, if, if people are going to be confronted, reproved, corrected, you're going to need to know how to read. Charles Hodge said, true Christianity flourishes just in proportion to the degree in which the Bible is known and the truths are diffused among the people. He went on to say that true religion prevails in any community in proportion to the degree in which the young are instructed in the facts and indoctrinated in the truths of the Bible. And so if the truths of the Bible are not available, then how should we expect that salvation will come? Now, it is true that God is not confined only to using his regular ordinary means. But let us not presume upon his grace. Let's not put our eggs in a basket that he's not ordained as is his chosen instrument. And so, uh, again, just in closing, the third uh, effect that we see the Bible has is salvation. Uh, fourthly, uh, the Bible brings about sanctification. And here, let's turn to John chapter 17. John 17, 17. Jesus, as he's praying, this is part of his prayer uh, to the Father before he is betrayed and arrested, uh, often called the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is praying to the Father regarding all of those people whom the Father had given him. And he's saying, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now the ESV says sanctify them in the truth, but I think um, a better sense would be uh, sanctify them by the truth. And then we could, we could just do some simple math and change it to sanctify them by your word. If we were to be sanctified by the truth, and if his word is truth, then we are to be sanctified by his word. This is the means Jesus is, pray Jesus is praying to the Father. Father, use your word to build up the saints. That's it. Now something tells me that this is a prayer that the Father delighted to answer. And so... If you are a Christian, God's word is an instrument in the hands of the spirit that is used to attain a certain effect. And that being that you are made more and more Christ-like. The Bible is not simply what gets us in the door. The Bible is what will get us all the way home. 
The Bible is how we put off the old man and put on the new. And so praise God for giving us this gift, this gracious gift, which will invincibly conform us to himself. Fifthly, and the last effect that we'll look at this morning is that the word of God is life-giving. It gives life. Jesus, in responding to and rebuking Satan, quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, of course, Deuteronomy is talking about the manna from heaven that God provided in the wilderness. Manna might sustain a person for a time. The food that you eat may sustain you for a time, but it can never give you life eternal. Mere physical food can only delay the inevitable. The word of God, however, confers, conveys, is the chosen instrument that God pours out life. Life abundant. Life in perfect relationship and harmony with the true and living God. And so all of these effects ought to compel us. They, they compel us to read the Bible. And so now let's Lastly, look at Bible reading promises. Well, brother and sister, actually, we've already been looking at them. All the effects that we've talked about are also promises. The effects are purposed and they are invincible. And so, therefore, they are promises. I just want to share with you quickly just a few vindications of God's Bible reading promises. But before I do so, I want to caution us. The Bible is a means that God uses to convey certain effects, but those effects are when and where he wills. Though there is not a purely mechanistic relationship, we cannot simply reduce it to, if this, if I open my Bible, then God is constrained to do this. The Spirit will will move where it wills. But we should also be able to say that if we do not read our Bible, or if we don't hear the word preached, if the truths of the Bible are not proclaimed to us, we should not expect to be saved. And so, what we want to do is read the Bible eagerly as a needy beggar as a destitute sinner, as having no claim over God. That's how we want to read the Bible. And then prayerfully ask that God would delight to bless such reading. And so, uh, one more caveat. Note, before I give these, um, this, this vindication, that there is not a one-to-one -one relationship. There is... Um, there is no uh, frequency alone of our Bible reading that can guarantee a certain effect. We cannot hold our, our Bible reading over God and say, well, I read my Bible seven times this week, therefore, can't we, that's, that's not the way it works. And after all, Satan knew the word of God quite well. 
and yet he hated it, and it profited him nothing. So with those, I think, important caveats out of the way, the Center for Biblical Engagement looked through uh, troves of polling data, and they pulled out the following gems. Now they did, I would argue, a very rigorous analysis. They controlled for factors such as age, sex, even church attendance and prayer. And so they, they isolated only Bible reading frequency. And what they found was that people who reported reading their Bibles four days a week or more had a 57% reduction in drunkenness, a 68% reduction in sex outside of marriage, a 61% reduction in pornography use, and a 74% reduction in gambling. And all of these reductions were statistically significant. Now, here's the really shocking part. For all the people who read their Bibles three times a week or fewer, there was not a single statistically significant reduction in any one of those things that we just talked about. No reduction. So when God commands us to hide his word in our hearts, he really means it. If we fail to be nourished by the living word, if we fail to be nourished by Christ, if we fail to see him in God's word, then we will faint. A vine without water will wither. And God's design is that we be nourished by the pure milk of the word, as Peter writes. And so, brother and sister, the promises of God compel us to read his word. So in closing, the Bible is a story about grace, starring a God who gives grace. The story itself is given by grace. And it's given that it might have an effect of grace. And so may God grant us the grace to read our Bibles. Because our very lives depend upon it. Let's pray. Lord, we have so, so much to be thankful for. Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God and you gave us this amazing message. Lord, help us to see that in everything that we have turned our attention to this morning, uh, all of it, Lord, is good news. Lord, we may be needy, but you have given us a means to satisfy our needs. Lord, we may be rebellious, but you have given us a means whereby our rebellion is confronted. Lord, we confess that we have disobeyed you and you've 
commanded us to hide your word in our hearts. We have failed at least in degree. So Lord, please build us up. Please give us the grace to look to your word. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Amen.